Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. You're listening to C103's Cork Today podcast. Phone and text lines are currently closed. As we welcome you along to the programme and already seeing some texts uh, coming in uh, to do what can only be described as a damning new review into the allegations of bullying, allegations of abuse and harassment on female members in the military, which was released yesterday. It has uncovered a litany of criminal and deviant behaviour that women in the army were subjected to. And this went on for over four decades. And the big worry I would have is, is it still going on in some form? The Thánaiste and the Defence Minister, Micheál Martin, came out yesterday and he said, having read through it, it left him with a degree of disgust. Now, the review was conducted by an independent panel of experts and it found that the Defence Forces barely tolerates women and at its worst, verbally, physically, sexually and psychologically abuses women within its ranks. The main perpetrators were said to be high-ranking officers whose behaviour was known to exist for decades. It continues to exist and the real worry is it goes unchallenged and it goes therefore unaddressed. And that, it seems, is facilitated by a culture of fear within the military. The damning report outlined allegations of adult and child sex abuse, extreme hazing and a detailed culture of misogyny and disrespect for all things female. The review has found that there was a discernible pattern of rape and sexual assault that took place within army barracks. It took place in mess halls, in swimming pools, in showers and on tours overseas. It said female members were advised to maintain two locks on their cabin or bedroom door if there had previously been an attempt to assault or forcibly enter their quarters in the past. Can you imagine that? Rather than calling out the person uh, who who forcibly tried to enter their quarters, instead the female was told, oh, you need to put an extra lock on your door. Interviewees reported barricading themselves into quarters and that was to prevent a further sexual assault. Regular incidents of drinks being spiked with various drugs were also reported, as was predatory behaviour targeting females in situations where alcohol is present. Many women raised concerns of intimate images being taken of them, including ones that were taken by hidden cameras in the showers and in the bathrooms. The report also included graphic details of alleged physical assaults with women describing being subjected to weekly punishment from their main colleagues uh, due to their gender 
in terms of physical and mental torture. Training exercises could include physical violence, such as being kicked in the stomach while doing sit-ups, being punched in the stomach while parading, being kicked in the groin and being targeted with sadistic violence for officers' perceived pleasure. God, this is really just such frightening uh, stuff. Uh, Micheál Martin confirmed that the state will now establish a statutory inquiry before the end of the year. Now, Dan Byrne, is a spokeswoman for the women, uh, the Women of Honour group. And in fairness to the Women of Honour group, they were the ones who really came out and decided to be very brave and decided to uh, speak up. And they were the group that helped to reveal what is, could only be described as dysfunction at the heart of the Defence Forces. They gave a cautious welcome to the report yesterday. Diane Byrne says it was only the first step in what is going to be a long, long process. Now, while the Defence Minister said that any any woman who was subjected to sexual assault should now go to the Gardaí with their allegations. Diane Byrne said she was unsure if women would feel safe enough for fear of ending their careers. She said, we haven't had a chance to talk to any of the serving females. We have to ask them what they feel about it. But she said she knows from her own experience that um, she wouldn't be, it wouldn't be enough from what Micheál Martin said, it wouldn't be enough to make her feel protected enough to go to the guards. Micheál Martin yesterday published in full the independent report. It was chaired by Judge Brona O'Hanlon and describing it as a stark and harrowing and committed to a programme of reform and also to a programme of a culture change. Now, when you look down into the people who, the very brave women who came forward to tell their stories, 88% of the female respondents surveyed for the review you reported experiencing one or more forms of sexual harassment. 88%. 46% reported experienced sexual assault or unwanted physical contact. And those who didn't experience such incidents attributed that to being able to keep their heads down and batting off inappropriate comments. Diane Burns said she believed that every woman in the Defence Force had experienced some form of abuse. And that, to me, is a really, really frightening uh, statement. The Women of Honour group have already recommended the appointment of an external expert to investigate medical boarding processes. They also want to study into deaths by suicide of Defence Force's members. It said the Defence Force should develop new policies on gender, inclusion and diversity, as well as ensuring the provision of adequate maternity clothing for female personnel. And that just got me thinking straight away. So if there's somebody in the army, so a, a female member in the army gets pregnant, they're not given proper maternity clothing. That in itself says, what does that say about the way they treat women? Now, the chief of staff to the Defence Forces, that this is Lieutenant General Sean Clancy. He's commended the report and he said he also has accepted its findings. He said the findings of this report are stark. We need to change. He says there is no place for any form of abuse or failure to act on any form of inappropriate behaviour in the Defence Forces. He said it's contrary to the ethos of the Defence Forces, the value and he said it simply won't be uh, tolerated. So let's wait and see what comes out from the inquiry. But I do think the Women of Honour group are right. They do need to appoint an external uh, expert when this inquiry uh, gets underway. But I mean, even to hear the, the, the who is the current 
Defence uh, Minister Micheál Martin saying he was left with a degree of disgust and you couldn't help when you read through this report but not be left with a degree of disgust. Michael has already been on to say that the old cliche headline shocked but not surprised does not wash with me. He says the women of honour as the dogs in the street knew what was happening to women in the army and in the Navy forces. The sad thing is that it's happening in several other establishments as well. He says look at our political establishments. Why are women leaving politics even at county county level as well as those at Dáil Éireann? Why have why have we not more women in senior positions within many organisations? He says there should be a serious inquiry into all of this. He said it literally is frightening and until it is sorted out, women will continue to be underdogs. Absolutely disgraceful, he says, that in 2023 that women who gave so much to this country, um, uh, Ireland, are being treated in such a disgusting manner. Heads should and must roll in these circumstances and women should be given back their dignity if that is possible possible and the damage that has and is being done to them. Just the thought of it, he said, is absolutely mind-blowing. Thank you, and that's from uh, Michael. Well said, Michael. Okay, some of your thoughts coming in on uh, the army and this report that has come out on the Defence Forces barely tolerating female members. Carolyn said, absolutely shocking, the report about what has happened to women uh, within the army in this country. It reminds me of that movie G.I. Jane, yeah, and that was just a movie. Little did we know it was happening in real life. And a West Cork listener says, Patricia, hope this message finds you well. Thank you. Uh, the way the Defence Forces has treated the women was absolutely a disgrace. Fair play to the Women of Honour group for coming out and telling their story. The men who did this should be charged in a military court and be behind bars. Now they're wondering why not many women want to join the Defence Forces. Keep up the good work. That's from a West Cork uh, listener. And you're right, they should be behind bars. I mean, women talking about um, being sexually abused and even raped, they absolutely should be uh, behind bars. Thank you for your thoughts on that. Now, can anybody offer uh, any kind of solace or words of advice to Margaret, who has been on to us? Her son is due to do his driving test next week. And Margaret's NCT on the family car, which the son is using, obviously, to do the driving test, is out this Friday. Now, she's been on to the NCT and the earliest that they can give her an appointment for her car is in two weeks, ta- two weeks time. But then, of course, she heard the news yesterday that is now stating if you turn up for your driving test and the NCT is out, then you won't be allowed to take your driving uh, test. Uh, she's wondering, is is that in place and would it, is there any driving tester listening who can tell us this week have you turned down somebody for a driving test because the NCT is out of date and where all this came from was uh, Forza who are the union that represent the driving testers uh, at the Road Safety Authority they have written to all of the testers telling them to revert back to the requirement that customer vehicles must have a valid NCT. Um, and what had happened was the requirements that a car presented for the test must have a valid NCT. That had been suspended and that's obviously because of the days due to the COVID pandemic. But the union, which represents most of the RSA driver testers, claim the RSA has continued to instruct driver testers to waiver the requirement if the car didn't have an NCT. Uh, but now FORSA are telling their 
drivers, their testers, not to go ahead with the test if someone doesn't have a valid NCT. Now, there's around 375,000 cars on the road without a valid NCT. That was up to last month. So you can assume that it isn't just Margaret's son who'll be going forward for a test in a car that doesn't have a valid NCT. Now, so what we are, what we're trying to find out, we're going to get on to the RSA for Margaret to see what exactly is happening. Are testers going with Forza or are they going with the RSA who had been asking testers to waiver the requirement if the car didn't have a valid NCT? And once the person could prove that there is a test date pending, which obviously Margaret's son will be able to do because Margaret does have a test for two weeks time. Failing that, I'm wondering, is there any way that Margaret can get a test? Today is Wednesday. He's doing the test on Friday. She'd have to try and get an NCT somewhere tomorrow and I don't know if that is possible or not. In the meantime, did anybody present for a driving test yesterday without a valid NCT and what happened at the test? Were you allowed to go ahead once you were able to prove that you did have a test pending? If anybody can offer words of advice to Margaret, please do. Email Patricia now with your story or comment. Cork today at c103.ie. Cork today on C103. According to the Irish Independent, a motion to be debated at the annual general meeting of the Irish League of Credit Unions has been interpreted as an attempt to scrap the much-valued insurance on savings for members. To find out more, Charlie Weston, who is the personal finance editor at the Irish Independent, uh, joins me. Good morning to Charlie. Good morning, Patricia. And you're, you're welcome to the programme. I suppose, you. can you start by explaining to people how this credit union insurance works and does it operate the same at all credit union branches? No, it's not all credit unions, um, you know, and, and all, we have a lot of credit unions in the country, something like 200, and they're all individually owned and, and, um, and unoperated. Uh, but it, it, it's, it's different, yeah, it, but it's unique to credit unions, and, and people like this. This is where if you die and you have savings, those savings are just wiped out, and they're very efficient at doing that. I remember when my dad died, he was a member of the discredited Rush Credit Union, oh. but he got his savings wiped out all the same. They they looked after that. Uh, he's, sorry, his loan wiped out, not the savings. Sorry, his loan, loan wiped out. Yeah. You get your loan wiped out and you get, yeah, sorry, you get your loan wiped out. So any loan you have is wiped out. And you get a multiple of any savings you have. It's usually about two times the savings, uh, the value of the savings that you have. Um, it, it, so, uh, you know, if you die tragically, it can be up to three times in some credit unions. Um, so it, it, it's a kind of what they call life savings and loan protection. So any savings are maybe doubled and any loans you have then are just wiped. Uh, but look, at it, it's very expensive. Some credit unions have capped it. Uh, others have got rid of it. Uh, but mostly it, it, it's in place in credit unions and it's much valued by members, particularly yeah. older members. They know that they could you know, that their family won't have to take up a loan if they die or they can take out a loan when, in, their, in their later years and know that it'll probably cover the funeral expenses and, and won't have to be paid back. But it's, it's very expensive and credit unions that are members of the Irish League of Credit Unions are required to take out this insurance to cover this from the, uh, credit, the League of Credit Unions' own insurance company. It's called ECCU. And some of them would prefer to go somewhere else. Others want to get rid of this loan protection because it's expensive. Uh, but there is a motion before the AGM of the Irish League of Credit Unions at the end of, um, which is in the end of April in Killarney. And it's essentially uh, 
to, to change the rule book. The rule book states that each credit union must have this particular insurance in place and the uh the, the motion is just to delete that rule completely uh you know um so so it, it it's sort of section 2 rule 6 just just completely delete the rule so that's been interpreted by some very senior members in the in the credit union movement as an attempt just to scrap this insurance altogether uh, which would wouldn't go down well with older members in particular yeah i'm i'm assuming it would go down like a lead balloon by members because as you said at the outset credit unions are member owned that's it, exactly. And this is, you know, this is one of the kind of social dividends, I suppose, they could give back. Like, they don't have to pay shareholders to investors. I mean, you, you essentially, you, you people collectively own a credit union. It's a mutual in the old style. I mean, we used to have building societies which were run on the same basis, owned by their members. A credit union is owned by its members. If it makes a profit, it's known as a surplus, and that's handed back to, to, to the individuals and some money is put into community initiatives. And you get schemes like this, loan protection and uh, uh, savings, life savings, uh, policy insurance. That's there for, for people because it's seen as a good thing. But, uh, yeah, it, it, it's, it'll go down very badly. I've had a lot of people on to me over the years where their credit union was being merged with a larger one and the you know the, 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 the loan protection and life savings uh, part of that. As part of the merger, they were they were kind of capping what would be paid out on that, and people were very very unhappy with it. Uh, so, I just think you know th- this motion now is is, is 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 a very controversial one, and I, I expect you know that that that'll make make for a heated debate at the annual general meeting of the legal credit unions. Unfortunately, the media aren't allowed into those okay. AGMs, so we, we won't be able to tell what happens until we ask people afterwards. But, but, but what are you hearing from some credit unions? Are some in favour of retaining it? Yeah, some are in favour of retaining it and, 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 and they, they would like more freedom to, to, to kind of buy it from other providers. There is another provider called CUNA Mutual which provides insurance in general, generally to credit unions and it's seen as cheaper. But, you know, the problem here is the league own an insurance company. It's profitable for them. They want league members to uh, use their own insurance. And they they have expelled credit unions that have refused to take out the insurance from uh, their own uh, insurance um, uh, provider, ECCU. So it's... You know, it's going to be a messy one, but, uh, you know, the problem here is credit unions are under a bit of financial pressure. People are not taking out loans the way they used to. That's essentially how they make their money from loans, but there's a lot of competition in that market from banks and from Avant Money and from Revolut, etc., from pay now, buy now, pay later uh, operators. So, you know... They're under they pressure. Want, they're under pressure to cut costs all around. Yeah, pressure, yeah. But, 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 I mean, if, if this... if. The motion goes ahead and gets passed at the, you know, the annual general meeting of the Irish League of Credit Unions. Each individual branch then obviously has their own uh, AGM. I mean, I'm assuming any rule change then will be discussed at the local AGM. Yeah, you know, you're, that's one thing you're entitled to do as a member, to bring up anything like that um, as, a, as, a, as a member. So, yeah, but it, 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 it will be, it can be. But the problem is not many people go to these AGMs. Uh, you need to go to your AGM if you're credit union, you know, because that's where decisions like this get get taken. So the first thing here is this this motion will be debated at the at the league and, uh, you know, it could, it could be put, could left in place, could be defeated, the motion to scrap that rule where credit unions have to provide loan protection and savings insurance. Um, or it could, alternatively, they could, could um, you know, amend it and, and leave credit unions free to do what they want to do. But 
I think it's just a sign of the of the kind of you know what, what's coming. You know, if there's moves to kind of get rid of this kind of a feature of credit unions, it's a pity because it's a unique unique offering that credit unions have. It marks them out from other other type of operators, commercial operators in the market, and it's something different and it's an added value for members. Well, if you think if you had a loan out with the bank and God forbid you passed away, your estate would have to pay off that loan. You, you get your savings back, but you'd have to pay off the loan. You still have to pay the loan. Yeah, I had somebody yeah. asked me this morning who owes a lot of money on a big mortgage and saying, look, if, 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 my, if myself and my husband dies, does the mortgage get wiped? No, no it doesn't. Not no. for a minute. And nor does the personal loan with a bank. You know, you, your estate, as you say, Patricia, will owe that and, you know, it'll have to be paid uh, out of the proceeds of what's left in the estate. Um, if You know, otherwise the family could be liable. I, I have a... Uh, you know, I know somebody who's American and uh, their father died recently and uh, weeks after the father died, the, the American company that was owed money was trying to track them down saying, can you pay your father's debts, you know? Oh <laughs> so, And that's something that's a horrible thing, you know. So it's just lovely to know if you're a member of credit union, if you have a loan, it'll be just wiped. Uh, and if you have savings, you, you know, you get up to twice of those. Um, yeah, a, listen, a listener is saying, I remember my grandmother about 10 years ago started building up her savings in the credit union. She knew she didn't have long left and she kept saying, that's going to be my funeral money because that will double when I pass away. And the listener said it did. Yeah, because people don't like to, to leave a burden of paying for a funeral to, 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 to you know, their relatives. They, they prefer to have that cleared and covered so that they get a decent send-off. That's important for people. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and, you know, and there is, that's why I'm supposed to make a big play about they sell an insurance product which, you know, will cover funeral expenses. And, and, and it's, it's proven quite popular because, you know, people have a sense of, you know, I, I don't want anybody skimping on my funeral. I want a decent send-off. I want my, 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 um, my, my sons and daughters to be able to afford to pay for, uh, the, you know, what is an expensive business? A couple yeah, of yeah. grand to, to, yeah. to bury somebody. I don't know if you can answer this. Uh, listener wants to know, if a married couple have a joint account with the credit union and one dies, does the loan get written off? I don't know about that one. No. I, I think uh, probably, you know, um, the, the rule will, will, will be different in each credit union. Just, you know, just just ask the credit union. They're very helpful and, and they're one of the few institutions in the country as well where you can go in and you can get to, you can get to speak to a human person rather than uh, having to go online or ring up a call centre. So, you know, they are easy to, 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 to operate uh, like that. OK, and, and this obviously is where individual credit unions set their own rules around this insurance. Michelle was on to say that when her mother passed away, she was 94, and when she applied to the credit union to get back her mother's savings, they only got the savings back, nothing extra, and it was because the age of her mother when she died at 94. So yeah. obviously that's with that particular... No, that's, that's you know, there, there are limits on, 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 on this insurance. It generally just doesn't apply, you know, to, pe- to people who live very, very long, unfortunately. Oh, OK. If you go on to the credit union uh, website, creditunion.ie, uh, and, 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 and click on life savings insurance, it will explain all that. Well, you know, it's, it's not unlimited, unfortunately. I should have made that clear earlier. There are kind of... You know, conditions attached, but I mean, it, it, it's a general thing. But you know, but, oh, is it? Yeah, but okay. people who live very long, unfortunately, it doesn't cover them. Okay, and very finally, the League of Credit Unions are they confirming or denying that they're trying to get rid of this uh, insurance cover? They don't want to say uh, ah. anything one way or the other because it's up for uh, debate, and they can't. They don't want to preempt the debate or be accused of trying to influence the debate. So they're just saying, look, it's a motion. 
uh, I sent them the motion and said, you're correct, that's the correct motion. It is going to be debated. Uh, it's come up before in AGMs and we'll see what happens. This is essentially what the League of Credit Unions is saying. OK, and, and you say it's on in April? It's on at the end of, uh, end of next month. Yeah. End of next exactly. month. OK, listen, Charlie, pleasure to speak with you. Thank you for that. Thanks for And uh, thanks for joining us. That is uh, Charlie Weston, who is the personal finance editor with the Irish Independent. And only time now will tell. We'll have a month uh, to wait to see if the credit union are going to scrap. What is, and Charlie is right, it is a much valued uh, insurance, particularly, I think, that fact that the loan gets wiped out and depending on your age, your savings can be doubled. Cork County Council is engaged in a review of how it will recruit part-time firefighters amid concerns that poor pay is leading to understaffing in some areas. All councillors backed a motion by West Cork councillor Caroline Cronin who said the lack of firefighters in rural areas is on the verge of becoming an emergency. And uh, Fianna Gael councillor Caroline Cronin uh, joins me. Good morning to you Caroline. Good morning, Patricia. And good to have you on the programme. Now, unfortunately, we had a number of serious gorse fires last uh, month. Did some of them highlight how understaffed some of our stations are? Absolutely. Um, uh, here in Skull, our fire, um, our fire crew was down to seven members. Um, and actually, one of the days, there was just fire, five of the, of the crew available um, for, the, the, for the fires. And they have to stay out then, do they, if, if, yeah, they if it's out. a major fire? Yeah, they were out during the day and during the night. Yeah, I'm not sure how many hours consecutively they worked through the night. But yeah, they, they worked day and night at it. And also, I think it's really important to point out when you're talking about, you know, Skull, that's, a, you know, that's one of our rural fire stations. They cover huge areas. Absolutely. Geographically, it's massive. It's, um, it's covering um, from Valley Hub out to... The Mizzen Head and uh, Dunmanus, Durris, it, it's a huge ge- area geographically. Why are we seeing a decline in the firefighter numbers? Now, I'm assuming some are just retiring, they come to retirement age. Yeah, that's correct. But a lot of them are um, resigning as well because they are limited with, um, well, I suppose that the pay is so poor at, at, to begin with, but then they're very limited. They can only work and live within two kilometres of the fire station, which, you know, um, Living and working, you know, it, this rules out a lot of people even applying for these positions. Particularly in rural areas where you mightn't have the population. Exactly. And when someone does decide to become a, a firefighter, what sort of commitment do they have to give to the service? Oh, it's huge. So there, there's continuous training. So first of all, they're in for a whole month, um, you know, doing the basic training. And then there's continued training as well. Um, so, you know, they, they can't be... Um, I suppose there's a huge skill set required to deal with the, the calls. You know, so there's, there's road traffic accidents, there's oil spills, there's domestic fires, gorse fires, commercial fires, and of course there's other major emergencies as well that they have to attend to. Yeah, they, they are highly trained. They really are yeah. high, high, highly trained. And then you, you say it's it's a pay issue. What What is the pay like for, for these so, part-time okay. firefighters? Yeah, so just to give the listeners an overview, so in... Comparing with Cork County, Cork City firefighters and Cork County firefighters, so the permanent crew in Cork City, um, they are in full employment and they are servicing stations in Ballincollig, in Ballyvalan, and Anglesey Street. So these guys are um, paid in excess of forty thousand euro per year, whereas in Cork County Cork County fire crews, they're just paid eight thousand eight hundred and seventy euro per year. So that breaks down to one hundred and sixty nine euros per week, and that's actually before. That's, that's bizarre. You see, I can never get my head around 
why we in the county have part-time firefighters yeah. and in the city they're full-time. I mean, I and, and I've, be, I've discussed that before in the past. That really needs to be looked at. 100%. Because although, the, you know, the, the, down here, because there's only seven um, of the crew at the moment, they are full-time, if you like, because they're on call 24 hours a day, seven days a week, over 340 days of the year. And there's huge commitment, you know. They're really... You know, they can't even take their families to the beach during the weekends because they're, you know, they're tied to... Um, they're on call. To, yeah, they're on call and they have to be within two kilometres of their station. Well, let's be honest, they put their lives at risk when they go out, particularly on some of those, you know, big fires. Absolutely, yeah. And they weren't just, you know, they weren't just quenching a fire that night with the, um, when Mount Gabriel went on fire. You know, it was, so it was engulfed in, in fire and it was from both sides of the mountain, so the south side and the north side. So, you know, they didn't just save, they weren't just quenching a fire, they saved the um, the radar station. Mm. They saved, which is an absolutely vital piece of infrastructure for, um, you know, it's, it's air traffic control, I suppose, really for the, for the south, you know, off the south coast here. And they also saved the um, the um, broadband satellites, which is providing uh, satel- uh, our internet to many businesses throughout West Cork. And they did that with fire. There was only five firefighters available. Well, no, they actually had to call in their, um, they had to be assisted by their colleagues from Bantry, Dunman Ray, Skibbereen and Castle Campbell. See, that's the other thing with the with the crews in the county. They end up going all over the county to offer backup and support. Yes, exactly. And, you know, they're, you know, if there was another terrible incident, then all the fire crews are at these fires and, you know, there's there's a real shortage of, um, of, of crews at the moment in, in Cork County. Is there a recruitment process, Caroline, on, process underway? Yes, there is at the moment. They're looking. They're recruiting in Cove and in Skull. I think the um, the deadline for Skull is the sixth of April, Thursday, the sixth of April. I think. So, if anybody's interested, get yeah. cracking that. Okay, and and once again, I go back to that question: Is there any talks of making the fire crews in the county full time, like the city counterparts? Well, it would be a dream come true, really, for them. I think you know, for an awful lot, you know, I I don't know. But look, if the ball is rolling now and it would be fantastic, even, you know, I would love to see them getting, I don't know, an extra €10,000 per year. I think they well deserve it. You know, the commitment is huge. It really is. OK, and people can apply to Cork County Council if, if they're interested. Yeah. OK. All right, listen, uh, Caroline, thank you for that. And, and well done for highlighting it. I really think it is uh, an, an issue that does need to be high- highlighted. Thank you for that, though, and thanks for joining us on the programme. Thank you, Patricia. Thank Good morning you. to you. Bye-bye. That is uh, Fine Gael, a councillor in West Cork, Caroline uh, Cronin. Thank you f- to Michael for correctly pointing out. Patricia, you keep saying army when you were referring to that uh, report, but don't forget the Navy is equally as bad. Uh, never forget they're an important part of the Defence Forces. And you're right because the report is into the Defence Forces. Uh, so you are right. I shouldn't be just uh, saying uh, the army. It is the full Defence Forces that are being looked at in this particular uh, report. Um, Anne says, I'm disgusted with the sexual, mental and physical abuse that's going on with uh, women, men and children. And it's still going on. Why are these monsters being allowed to work? I'm surprised that Micheál Martin and Leo Varadkar don't, didn't know that this was uh, going on. These people should be punished and their pensions should be removed. Yeah, that's a good point. I suppose if you speak to some of the, the women that were in the Women of Honour group, the first ones to come forward and break uh, the story, uh, many of the people 
people who perpetrated the crimes against them, the sexual offences and the physical and psychological abuse against them. Many of them, many of their commanders would be retired and living on quite sizable pensions. So that's a good point from Anne. Thank you for that, Anne, to 0862103103. Now, Pat, in from Moy is raising a different uh, story and it's the story of the man um, the story of the guy who managed to get on to a flight to Birmingham out of Dublin airport and he didn't have a passport and he didn't have a boarding card and he was fined. Uh, Pat is wondering what about those that get on flights in Paris or in other European cities and they arrive in Ireland without a passport? Why are these people never fined? Instead, they're given uh, asylum. Why is that? Well, that's the, they're two, I suppose, completely different processes, uh, Pat. The people that arrive in this country and claim that they don't have any paperwork, even though they must have had uh, some kind of ID and a passport when they boarded the plane in the first place, but they somehow lose it then between getting off the plane and arriving into immigration. What happens in those incidents is they then say they are seeking asylum. And of course, once they claim that they are seeking asylum, then a different process uh, begins. Now, if they're found out wrongly that they shouldn't have been claiming asylum, maybe they could be fined then. But at that point in time, once they say the word that they are looking for asylum in our country then a whole different process begins but what you are talking about was a story that I have to say I found jaw dropping and in my own head I can't work out how this happened how a man can enter Dublin airport and manage to board an airplane without a passport and without a boarding pass it's now obviously been seen as a major security breach at Dublin airport on Monday night the man is a four 48-year-old by the name of Abdul Ahmed. He was fined €700 after boarding an Aer Lingus flight to Birmingham out of Dublin airport. He was charged with trespassing with intent to commit an offence and with failure to produce a valid passport or a similar document as he is a non-national in the state. He was fined €350 for each of the charges. Now, seeming this man was able to pass through security screening at Terminal 2, pass the airline staff at the gate and then board the airplane despite not having a boarding pass or a passport. Now, if you've ever been through Terminal 2, you will know that boarding passes are checked manually by a staff member as opposed to the automated system that you have in uh, Terminal 1. So he managed to pass staff members. And you know if you've ever boarded a, a plane, you're asked for your passport and you're asked for your boarding card. They check both. I mean, I can't even work how he got through security. I mean, going through security, you don't show your passport at security, but you show your boarding card because you can't just, anyone can't willy-nilly just go through the security screening. So you managed to go through all of that without a boarding pass and without a passport. Airport police were then called and removed him from a seat because obviously then he got onto the plane. He didn't have a seat allocated. I'm assuming somebody else got onto the plane who did have a passport and a boarding card and had a boarding card with the seat number on it. Then they realised, obviously, the air hostesses. Even how did he even pass the air hostesses when you get onto the plane? Because they normally check the boarding pass again. But anyway, um, it was on Friday. 
on Monday night, uh, it was the five past seven flight to uh, Birmingham. They realised he shouldn't have been in that seat. Then they realised he didn't have a boarding card. Then they realised he didn't have a passport. So the airport police was were called. He seemingly has an address in Staunton Street in Newcastle. So he was trying to get back to his address in Newcastle. He appeared before the Criminal Court of Justice in Dublin City yesterday and the airport operator DAA. They've since declined to comment on the incident, but a spokesperson for Lingus said the airline is assisting with this um, on Garda Siakona uh, in uh, investigation. The incident, of course, also comes as the DAA chiefs have already been invited to appear, appear before the Oireachtas Transport Committee. And this was following revelations by the Irish Independent that a whistleblower working at Dublin Airport had made a protected disclosure about security and screening at the airport. The claims alleged that security screening at the airport is not fit for purpose. The Irish Aviation Authority, the IAA, they found a premia facia evidence into the whistleblower's claims of vulnerabilities at the airport, which could very worryingly lead to a possible terrorist attack. So TDs and senators, when they heard about that, the ones on the Transport Committee has said, right, let's have the DAA in. So they've called them in. They're going to appear to and to appear before the committee to answer questions around security standards at the airport. And I read Fianna Fáil Senator Timmy Dorley describing the claims by the whistleblower as deeply disturbing. The DAA is now set to appear before the committee. Now, it's not going to happen until after the Easter recess, or it won't happen until uh, the middle of April. The whistleblower claims that there's a lapse in standards around staff training, and that, the whistleblower has said, is leading to below-par security screening at the airport where vulnerabilities could be exploited. The IAA has launched an informal investigation into the protected disclosure, uh, and it's said they've found premium facility evidence that wrongdoing may have occurred. Now, obviously, this particular case is once again going to highlight that there are things not going right, certainly at uh, security. So, and of course, the what happened at Dublin Airport, they needed to employ extra staff very quickly. But you now wonder, are the staff that they've employed very quickly, are they properly trained? Can I give a mention, because I heard Mairead um, uh, talk about it today uh, on the news, and just how saddened I was to wake this morning to hear the news that the TV presenter and comedian Paul O'Grady had uh, died at uh, the age of uh, 67 and has already been on to say, Patricia, I'm feeling very sad this morning after hearing of the sudden death of Paul O'Grady. He was a wonderful man. I would love to have been his friend. May he rest in peace with the angels, says Anne. Yeah, Paul O'Grady is somebody you would love to spend time with for sure and I imagine he'd be a great, great friend and such fun, I would say, uh, to have been uh, around and it was his partner who issued the statement uh, yesterday evening saying he died unexpectedly but uh, peace uh, but uh, peacefully uh, his partner said he would be greatly missed by his loved ones, his friends, his family and animals and all those who enjoyed his humour and his uh, wit. And Paul, I mean, he'd, he'd been, as I say, it was an unexpected uh, death. He'd been working only recently. He was on tour in the UK. He was playing Mrs. Hannigan 
Hannigan in the musical Annie and what a fantastic uh, Miss Hannigan he would have he must have made in that musical um, Annie and during his career of course it was a long long list of shows including the show that was named after him the Paul O'Grady show he did Blind Date he did uh, Blankety Blank and the one for me that I think I loved the most was his multi-award winning show for The Love of Dogs I mean I think any time I watched that programme I had to have the tissues at, at the ready and he had he had such a love of uh, dogs as well and obviously with a surname like O'Grady did he have Irish roots of course he, he did his family roots were in Roscommon and in uh, Louth and there has just been so many tributes online they are flowing in uh, to Paul O'Grady and, and lots of people are referring to him as a, a champion for the underdog and our own uh, John Paul has put together just a little clip of some memories of Paul uh, O'Grady the piece starts with Paul reading out letters that he used to get from listeners on one of his shows that he did on Channel 4 and then it goes into Paul's appearance on This Morning with Richard and Judy when he was a guest back in 2020. That would have been during uh, Covid uh, times and of course he would have joined them when they presented the show out of Liverpool and he would have done that as his uh, alter ego uh, Lily Savage. But here's here's a little reminder and a memory of now the late great Paul O'Grady. What we got here? To the Paul O'Grady show. The, what's this here? To Paul O'Grady, why is your what? H I A I R. Oh, hair. Why is your hair? Why is your hair white? <laughs> I love your show. Here is a picture of you from Marcus, age nine. Oh, well, thank you very much, Marcus. Why is my hair white? Woody, really. <laughs> it's platinum blonde, Marcus. Ash blonde. Got a grey hair in my head. I was born with it. Oh, don't. Let's not go there with the grey hair, please. Uh, what have I got here? Dear Dingbat, have you got any nail clippings or hair I can have? Oh, I, <laughs> I believe I am related to you and would like to test a bit of you for DNA. Like you, I am lopsided and easily irritated. <laughs> It would be great if I was your son. Oh, don't hold your breath, kid. <laughs> so don't delay and send me your toenail. Cheers, Peter in Coventry. Oh, the things you get asked for. I'd a letter want me underpants. You would have only got one pair and you're not getting them and that's class. You're actually a very sound heart now because it was a dicky heart at one time, wasn't oh, it? Oh, shocking as hell together with gaffer tape, you've staples. Had, yeah, you've had loads but of it's still you? going, still, you know. You're still cracking <laughs> And they go in through your leg, you know, when they put these stents in. I said to him, yeah, my cardiologist, you might as well put a zip in. I'm in that often. <laughs> <laughs> Where's yeah. Lily a ghost or is she still with us? She's At the moment, she's in Amsterdam. And, uh, <laughs> she would be, yeah. She's, uh, she's running a ladies' seminar. <laughs> I bet she's very popular. It doesn't, you can't go, it doesn't, apparently the building doesn't open until seven at night. So I don't know what she's doing. She says she's a social consultant. Yeah, I'm sure she's in charge. Will she ever come home? I mean, because obviously that's how we first met you. Yeah. Will will she ever come back? No, never. No. 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 You've done and dusted with that. Done and dusted. Ah, the late great uh, Paul O'Grady. And actually interesting, uh, what was his alter ego, uh, Lily Savage, his mother's name was Savage and is believed to have inspired his famous drag, alter ego. He really, really will be missed and, you know, the world is a darker place when we lose great, great characters uh, like uh, Paul O'Grady and I saw um, 
oh, I think it was his friend Lorraine Kelly. Uh, she she was saying such sad news. Paula Grady, funny, fearless, brave, kind, and wise, will be solely sorely missed. Uh, a really special man. Yeah, may he rest in peace. Uh, the late great Paul O'Grady. Oh eight one eight one zero three one zero three. Let me go to some of your commentary coming in on other issues that we've been dealing with. And I mentioned earlier that we had a call in from Margaret and we're, we're desperately trying to see if we can get this sorted out from, for Margaret because her son is due to do his driving test next week. Um, but the NCT on the car is out on Friday. Margaret's done her best to get uh, an NCT test, but the earliest one she can get is in two weeks time. So when her son presents in the car, it will be an out of date NCT. And of course, as we heard yesterday, it is Forza, who are the union that represents most of the RSA driver testers. They have written to all of their members and telling them uh, to refuse to do a test unless somebody has a valid NCT. And that requirement has been suspended for a while because of the delays. And we know I gave that figure of like three, they reckon about 375,000 cars are on the road without a valid NCT at the moment. Through no fault in many cases, through no fault. There are obviously some people scanning this system, but for the majority of people, they're just waiting to get their test date. Margaret has a test date uh, for two weeks time. Uh, but she, she's got to wait and we're on to the RSA uh, to see if we can find out anything for uh, Margaret and failing that I'm wondering if there's any way Margaret can get the NCT perhaps done tomorrow is Thursday and get it done no I'm, I'm assuming she's tried all avenues to get a test on the car done uh, sooner but that's led to somebody texting in saying when I was doing my driving test for the first time I went in and you know the paperwork part that has to be done did all of that and then I walked out with the tester back to the car to sit the actual driving test but for some reason my insurance disc hadn't the proper information well that was according to the tester so I was told no sorry I can't test you uh, today you'll have to book a new date to reset the test which obviously I, I wonder what was wrong with your insurance disc. Anyway, I also then heard lately of a young girl doing her driving test in a similar story that the green strip on the side of the insurance disc wasn't visible in the holder. And the tester says, I can't do the test because that green strip must be visible. Now, the girl was saying that the disc wouldn't fit in without folding the green bit. And the tester says, once you've even got a little bit of the green bit showing, it'll be okay. But because there's none of the green bit showing, I can't do the test. What difference would that have uh, made? Anyway, the same girl had to reschedule, went back to do the test. It was a frosty morning. She tried the windscreen wiper going over to the test centre, but it wasn't working, probably frozen. She was getting on okay. When the tester said to her, you need to do the windscreen wiper, obviously the window was a bit uh, dirty. It wouldn't work. Uh, Again, still frozen and hadn't thought out, but it put her off then and and she obviously didn't pass uh, the test. Uh, 0818103103. Just on that strip <clears throat> that's come up before on the programme, uh, we had somebody who went along to do their driving uh, test who had cut off that green strip that's down the side of the insurance search, didn't realise that they had to have it like that, wanted to fit it very neatly into the holder. That's a requirement on your insurance disc. You must have that green disc and the green disc must be showing 
The reason for it, I don't have a clue. I absolutely do not have a clue. John Paul tells me we're going to have a, a driving, uh, in, is this a driving tester or an instructor? Uh, join us um, on the, on the programme just to see if we can find out, particularly on Margaret's situation, just to see if we can find out what exactly can be done for her son because obviously he is all prepped, the driving instructor, obviously he's all prepped and ready to do the test, all set to do the test next week. But because... The NCT is out on Friday. He, um, It's looking like he could turn up at the test centre to be told, no, sorry, you can't do the test in uh, that car. 0818-103-103. Bernice in the city says, Patricia, I am sickened and hurting in my heart to hear what the women in the Defence Forces have had to go through. My dad worked for both the Navy and for the Army all of his life and none of his family knew that this was going on. I really hope that they get the proper justice that they uh, deserve. And I think that's what everybody is hoping. And, you know, listening to the Thánish there and the current Minister for Justice, you know, saying he was, you know, absolutely disgusted by this report um, you know, all we can hope is that we get to the bottom of what happened and I think for, for, the, for the women involved I think that they will want uh, justice will they get justice? Only time will tell. 0818 103 103 and then there was somebody else um, to do with, if I can find it here there's a lot of texts coming in the, uh, this is to do with the case of the guy who got on the plane in Dublin airport didn't have a boarding pass, didn't have a passport somebody is querying will he pay the 700 euro I don't know if he has the means to pay the 700 euro or not but he has been fined uh, 700 euro and that led to somebody saying well, how come when people come into this country they without a passport that they are not fined and I was making the point that we have a different process when somebody comes into the country and says I'm here to claim a- a- asylum John in Cove says the undocumented arriving in this country be it, be it via planes or uh, ferries. The, many of these people are here illegally and therefore they should not be allowed in. The people who run the border control in Australia, they should be brought over from Australia to Ireland and let them run our airports and our ferries. And I'm assuming that you're talking about that border control programme where the Aussies, I mean, they literally send people back. Uh, the people in control here are not applying the law. The Australian authorities run things differently. If a person arrives without say a proper visa without the proper documentation they're sent back to where they came from that is the approach we need here yes you're right when you're watching that programme people who come in and they're on the wrong visas or if the authorities there can prove that they had come on a visa previously and they'd outstayed the visa then they're sent back but what you don't get to see on that programme are asylum seekers that arrive in Australia and yes asylum seekers and refugees do arrive in Australia and once they claim that they're here as refugees or asylum seekers then they can't be put back on the plane because similar to Ireland the Australian government have also uh, are also signed up to the UN Refugee Convention but they handle the asylum pro- process slightly different in Australia I mean for example I was uh, I was only reading online that there are currently thousands of asylum uh, seekers um, and refugees in Australia at the moment. They're held in what's called immigration detention centres around Australia. I know at one stage there was a place called Christmas Island and anyone that arrived in Australia 
as a refugee or as an asylum seeker, they were sent to Christmas Island until their case was processed. And then they either got us, if they were genuine asylum seekers, they got asylum. If they weren't, they were sent back. So at the moment, the Christmas Island closed. I think there was a human rights issue with Christmas Island. So that was closed down as a detention centre. There is another island being used called Manus Island. It's in Papua New Guinea. Um, and there's also various detention centres around Australia. But that's what they do. They stay in the detention centres. Then the process begins and then the person either is allowed to stay in Australia or they're removed immediately. And I don't know how long the process takes, but I'm assuming it is quicker than what's happening here in Ireland. The big problem we have here is it just takes so long. 0818 103 103. John Paul taking your calls. You can text her WhatsApp to 0862 103 103. C103 Jobs. Experienced accounts assistant is wanted for full or a part-time position in Dunamore. Now, a knowledge of SAGE, Thessaurus Payroll and Excel would all be an advantage. CVs, please, to accounts at um, FordSteelBuildings.com. Qualified motor mechanic required for the position of application test technician at Snap-on Diagnostics. Email applications, please, to corkjobs at snapon.com. Acra Vet, they're based in Mallow. They're looking for a junior officer sales administrator. Good numerical skills are necessary. CVs, CVs please, to douglas at um, acravet.ie. And Hamilton French Recruitment have vacancies for a site dumper driver with CSCS card at Mallow. They're looking for electricians to work in the Rathine area of Limerick and a gate attendant for a new site in Blarney. Email your CV, please, to jobs at hamiltonfrench.com. You'll find all the details and more job opportunities by going online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is C103. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Want great advice? You know who to talk to. CMIG.ie Yesterday, the Minister for Agriculture, Charlie McConnellogue, brought a memo to Cabinet recommending the recruitment of an additional 40 dog wardens and a doubling of fines under the Control of Dogs Act. The recommendations stem from the ongoing review of dog legislation following the mauling of a young county Wexford boy by a pit bull terrier last November. Uh, will the recommendations be enough? Well, dog behaviour therapist Nancy Creedon of Creedon Dog Care joins me. Good morning to you, Nancy. Good morning, Patricia. And you're, you're very welcome to the programme. Now, we currently have 50 dog wardens nationwide, so an extra 40 will bring that total to 90 do you welcome that and will that be enough? At least we're finally starting to see some movement in the right direction. So yes, of course, everyone will welcome an extra 40 dog wardens because as we know, the dog wardens that we have are really under-resourced, really don't have the manpower that they need to actually cover this amount of space that they're meant to cover. However, obviously, like most of us, we're going to kind of say that's not enough. That's not really making that much progress insofar as, you know, bite prevention, in, you know, making sure the fines are being put in place. Because also the big thing for me is that while we'll have more dog wardens, the dog wardens have no training. The dog wardens are put into the role, given their van, given their lead and and kind of told this is what you're supposed to do. But there's no formal training in there. There's no upskilling. There's no opportunities for them to learn about assessing dangerous dogs and assessing dog bite scenes and so on and so forth. So we welcome extra dog wardens. Now, next step is let's get them all on a really high 
you know, state-of-the-art training program that they're going to get a lot of hands-on experience and a lot of basic knowledge, really, that they, it's vital for them to do their job. Yeah, because I was looking yesterday at an ad that was put up for a dog warden. I think it was in, in County Kildare. Um, and I was trying to find out, you know, was there going to be training provided, etc. And what qualifications did you need to become a dog warden? I couldn't find anything on that except a very, very long list of uh, duties. I think people will be surprised to hear the dog wardens and don't receive training. And it also seems unfair to the dog warden that they don't get any official training. Very unfair. Um, and I've spoken to plenty of dog wardens and they're crying out for it. They'd love the opportunity to, to become more knowledgeable in what they're doing because what they're doing can be scary. It can be frightening to go into to environments where dogs have very badly attacked people or even, God forbid, killed people. And it goes the same for the, the guards. So the guards don't get any formal training either when it comes to being around dogs, reading dog body language, keeping themselves safe around dogs. All they're told is to ask for the dog to be put in another room. Yeah, that's, yeah, it's simply not, it's not good enough. Now, they're also talking about the doubling of fines uh, to cover dogs not being on a lead or dogs not being kept under control. Will enforcement here be the issue? <laughs> yes, you got it in the head. Um, very much so, because the thing is, what we find anyway, anecdotally, is that the people with the super dangerous dogs often are quite intimidating themselves and often the guards and the dog wardens don't feel safe and don't want to take on the challenge of going there and, and talking about fines for their dogs or even perhaps discussing the dogs having to be taken away. So um, the big, bad, scary dogs that are out there that we are all a little bit nervous of, uh, I don't know if they're going to get touched. Um, I don't know. I've never heard of anyone getting the two and a half thousand euro fine, so I don't know how enforced it will be but look at least we're moving in the right direction but they're baby steps but we really need to be taking bigger leaps because it's been a long time since we re-evaluated how we look at dogs and dog safety and so on and so forth so I was kind of hoping there'd be bigger leaps rather than baby steps um, but I mean it's not over yet and we'll see what comes out next. Yeah they're also looking and talking around a, a database for registering dog microchips but again, the problem I perceive, how do you get all dog owners to microchip their dogs? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Now, the microchipping, the legislation that came in for microchipping has been effective. It is rare these days for dogs to be found without a chip unless they are older dogs. So at least that has started to make um, some, some impact, which is great because we're always afraid that legislation won't do anything. The next thing that they're tackling then is the dog breeding establishments. So they're talking about making a central database for that. And that's the one that I'd um, be keeping a closer eye on. And what I would rather they did, central database, yes, but let's go one step further and let's have a public website where everybody can see all of the listed registered dog breeding establishments and the photographs and videos of the last investigation of that site because if people could see where these puppies are coming from they would very quickly change their mind to purchase the dogs from these environments because while the legislation ensures that they have x amount of space x amount of food water exercise and so on that's the bare minimum. And for most of us listening to this show, the bare minimum would horrify you if it was coming to your own dog, that they were just getting very basic shelter. So so I would love to see that central database include access to photos and videos of the site inspections and then let people decide if they still want to buy their cockapoo um, from the shed. In the 
A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Back and beyond, because once you see the reality, it's hard to unsee it. And would you have come across people, Nancy, who bought a dog or a puppy in all good faith, uh, not realising it had come out one of these horrific uh, puppy farms and then the problems that that puppy grows up to have. Yeah, I'd say maybe about two a week. Two oh. a week is, at least. Um, and, and, and the reality is that two a week is probably in and around... 30, 40% of the cases that I deal with because we'll only do about four or five a week. So so when we see, um, when I sit down with people, ask where they got the dog, ask the standard questions, you know, did you meet them halfway and did you meet the mother and stuff? Um, you'll always see a bit of a, a penny drop behind their eyes and they realise, uh-oh, the dog didn't come from the right place or they'll re- they'll have realised it at the time but when they're looking at that little puppy they don't want to leave it behind so the, yeah the vast 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 majority of purchased dogs are coming from environments that I absolutely would recommend people do not buy dogs from there are very good responsible breeders who are passionate about their breed who perhaps show their dogs or are breed experts in that breed um, that do breed very healthy very behaviourally sound puppies and they should be commended and they should be endorsed and they should also be on that dog breeding establishment website so you can look at a responsible breeder's photos versus your backyard breeder photos and then you make your mind up of which puppy you want to buy. And best of all go to a rehoming centre, go to a charity and and take a dog who desperately needs a home. What's What's going on at the minute with the charities is just like I've been in the dog industry 15 years and I've not seen it in my lifetime. Um, we had difficulties with them being, you know, over flooded with dogs coming up to Christmas, after Christmas every year. That was fine. That was manageable. Then everybody went out and got a dog and locked in and the dog population just went boom. And now, as always, the percentage of dogs getting rehomed is probably a similar percent, but the volume of dogs is massive. So I'm getting contacted by rescue centres the whole time saying, what, is there anything you can do to help us? We literally have no space. And while funding and all that's great, they literally have nowhere to put the dogs and people are still handing them over. So, I mean, if people are thinking about rehoming their dogs, just stop and think, will training help? Will I give him another chance? Is he 14 months and at the peak of his annoyingness? Do you know, will mm. I just hold on till he gets to two and see what he's like then? Because the adolescent dogs getting dumped in rescue centres or the dogs with behaviour problems that were never fixed. Um, it's just, honestly, it's embarrassing to be Irish and to see us doing this again because we've been warned. The public's been warned. Adopt, don't shop, you know. Don't buy from puppy farms. Don't do this, don't do that, don't do the other. And here we are, rescue centres contacting me, just being like, we literally, I know there's not much you can do, but we don't know what else to do. Anything that you can help, you know. So anyone out there thinking of getting a dog, please. I rescued a dog, um, a a 10-month-old Rottweiler German Shepherd from the CSPCA uh, at the start of January. And the boy is an absolute 
gem, not down to me, not down to anything I do, I'm doing. Just because, like, he's amazing with my kids. He's amazing with dogs. Dogs come up barking at him. He just, like, looks at them goofy, brilliant with strange men, brilliant with everything that's a normal trigger for dogs. And he spent time in the rescue centre and he was dumped. So just because these dogs are ending up in rescue centres, it doesn't mean there's anything wrong with the dog. Absolutely not. You purchase a dog from a puppy farm, mm, there's a chance there's going to be something wrong with that dog. So get into your rescue centres, please. Yeah, and I always feel a rescue dog, it's almost like they understand I've been given a second mm. chance here. And I think the bond that you have with a rescue dog is it's, it, it's almost slightly different to the bond you'd have with a dog that you go out and buy. You're so right. You have me smiling here because I'm like, you're so right. The amount of dogs that I know of that are just like, yes, thank the Lord. Look at the house I'm in. I am so lucky. And they're just like, OK, I'm going to be a good boy. I ain't leaving this home. So, yeah, there is there's a different level of like appreciation for the finer things in life when they've spent a bit of time in rescue or maybe roaming the streets looking for a family of their own. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I don't know anyone that would say, oh, I wish I didn't rescue my dog and yeah, bought a dog. Yeah, instead. Well, I don't know well, and, you know, that. talking of rescued dogs, a, a man who was at the forefront of trying to get people to uh, adopt from uh, a rescue centre was the wonderful Paul O'Grady and we're waking up to the news that he died unexpectedly but peacefully um, last night. I know, it's so sad. He's literally like, you know, like the mother hen of the dog rescue industry. He's just done so much for shining a light on the on the gems that you find in rescue, but also on the heartache that goes on in rescue. And down to that man, I wouldn't I wouldn't go far as like I wouldn't be surprised to say like maybe fifty to eighty thousand dogs have been rescued just down to watching his show. I bet you the number is way higher than that. People sitting at home seeing what goes on in rescue and saying, I'm going to help too. So the man left a massive impact on the dog welfare world um, and yeah he'll be missed he's yeah. a lovely man we all grew up watching his shows so yeah huge huge outpouring on social media and we were talking in the in the office earlier I was saying I reckon there isn't anyone that would have a bad word to say about Paul O'Grady he just yeah. always came across as such a yeah. nice nice man so uh, may he rest in peace and just, just before yeah. I let you go staying on TV uh, programmes you're involved in a Channel 4 programme, Dog Academy. Tell me about that. I am indeed. So the Dog Academy starts on Channel 4 this Thursday at 8pm. Um, oh, I love it. I love it. We, I'm actually in Bristol at the minute because we were watching a screening of the second episode and I'm just like, this is such a good show. It's so good. <laughs> it's funny. It's cute. It's happy. And uh, The music in it is my favourite thing. I never realised how much of an impact kind of music has on TV shows. But the focus of the show is on rebuilding the bond, the broken bond between dog and owner, maybe after behaviour problems or things are going on in the in the owner's life and the relationship has kind of weakened between the dog and the owner so they come to see us at the dog academy a big manor in the in the british countryside and um we take the dog aside we do training with the dog we i do the training with the owners so i sit down in the therapy room and get into the nitty-gritty of what's going on um and then we put the owners through the paces to get the dogs trained and it's just lovely it's just feel good tv so um so yeah thursday at 8 p.m i'm not in the first episode i keep telling everyone you don't need to watch the first one <laughs> 
<laughs> we will um, watch it anyway. <laughs> you don't watch it anyway, but yeah. don't be surprised if you don't see me on my episode start episode two. But um, but yeah, it's just lovely. I know that people are going to absolutely love it. So um, yeah, once we get the numbers, hopefully we'll be back for a couple more series then as well. Okay, can I just say, I, and I know your passion is is dogs and working with dogs, but it's so fantastic to see you forging your ahead with your media career. Your dad, John, must be just <laughs> bursting with pride. So uh, well done, is. well done. Listen, pleasure as always to talk to you, Nancy. Thank you for that and thanks for joining us today. Thanks, Patricia. Good morning to you. That is the wonderful Nancy Creed and I spoke with her earlier because she was about to board a plane in uh, Bristol Airport. She really is lovely. Now, Catherine in Skibbereen was on to us uh, to say she uh, ended up in Cork University Hospital yesterday. She had to go to the emergency department and uh, in case people are thinking, uh, oh, you know, what's it like in the emergency department at the moment? Because we're not hearing a lot about people on uh, trolleys, even though there was a high trolley figure, I'm sure, the day before yesterday. Anyway, she arrived at three o'clock yesterday afternoon and she was there until 11 o'clock last night. Uh, She said there wasn't any trolleys around, but she said because there wasn't trolleys around, people were literally just left sitting or lying on chairs. She said there was one young girl who obviously was very unwell and she was lying across some chairs. She was there all day. Then Catherine said she was sitting next to a lady who was in really, really severe pain. Anyway, Catherine got talking to the nurses when they were treating her and uh, the one of the nurses that she was talking to <clears throat> said that she'd been on duty since 7am yesterday morning and she had had one 15 minute break during the whole day and she said it wasn't just her she said her other nursing colleagues were the same when Catherine was talking to her it was at 7pm last night so that was 12 hours this nurse was on her feet working with only one 15 minute break and she Catherine said another issue that she noticed was people signing the waivers if they had health private health insurance to get the health insurance company to pay for the treatment and you waiver the rights to the public service treatment and uh, Catherine says it makes absolutely no sense because everybody is getting treated the very same way whether you're there as a public patient or whether you're there and your private health insurance is going to have to fork out for the visit or not. She said she saw people sleeping on floors and in case people were saying well why was Catherine up at the the emergency department? I'm sure it was the last place she wanted to be. She had a very bad urinary tract infection and uh, she ended up just being given a prescription for antibiotics and sent home but she said the reason that she landed up in the A&E was she had gone to a locum doctor and the locum doctor not happy with her says I'd prefer if you went to CUH and that's how she ended up there but she was there from 3 in the afternoon until 11 o'clock last night and I'm assuming on the antibiotics that the locum doctor could probably have prescribed for her and she could have got those antibiotics into her uh, quicker hopefully uh, and listen kidney infections UTI infections horrible horrible dose so hopefully you'll make a quick recovery and that you're on the, on the right antibiotic but yeah I think it's everybody's fear isn't it if your doctor says to you I think you need to go up to the A&E department I've heard more people um, tell stories of a doctor suggesting you may need to go to A&E and people saying please anywhere but don't send me to the A&E department 0818 103 103 but massive massive sympathies for the people working there and anybody expected to do obviously 12 hour plus shift 
with one 15 minute break is that's just exhaustion level stuff now we're trying to come up with a solution for Margaret who contacted us earlier in a bit of a pickle her son has a his driving test scheduled for next week but the family car's NCT is out on Friday Margaret has tried to get an NCT appointment as soon as she could and the earliest she could get an NCT is two weeks time which technically means when the son brings the car the family car to the test centre next week it's going to have an in valid NCT and out of date NCT certificate so we're trying to see is there any way around this for Margaret's son now Martin Hennessy joins me Martin is a driving instructor in uh, Charleville uh, he runs the company called You Drive good morning to you Martin Morning, Patricia. How are you? I'm very well, and thank you so much uh, for taking our call. Now, the reason Margaret is in a pickle is we know it was announced yesterday that Forza, the union that represents the majority of uh, testers at the Road Safety Authority, are telling their test examiners to refuse to do the driving test without a valid NCT search. Now, that rule had always been in place, but am I right in saying that the RSA suspended that due to the delays with COVID? That's correct, Patricia. No, it's, it's a bit unfortunate for this person because this actually only came into effect in the last couple of weeks because over the last couple of years with COVID, um, because people couldn't get NCTs, they were exempt uh, for having their NCT valid to do their driving test. But now uh, I actually only received an email on the 27th of March myself stating that you have to turn up now with a valid NCT before your test. It's only actually changed in the last week or so. so that's a bit unfortunate. Yeah, the 27th is Monday. It's only this week it's 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 come in. Yeah, um, exactly. I only got the email myself. I actually didn't know about it the other day because I got the email from the Road Safety Authority myself. So that's only just come in now in the last couple okay. of days. Okay, give advice then. What can this young lad do? Well, they've got a couple of options. Number one, you can reschedule your test once you give 10 days notice so that he could rebook his test, get another date. Uh, as long as he gives the RSA 10 days notice, he can do that twice without losing his 85 euros because if he turns up with no NCT he will lose his money and he will lose his his his, his test fee so he'll have to reapply again anyway. Oh so, you lose you lose the fee. <laughs> well if he doesn't give 10 days like if he, he he can he can reschedule his test now yeah online and rebook it for a time when he thinks he might have his NCT and it won't cost him anything and just do the test maybe in three or four weeks' time when he has his NCT gone. But if, but if he turns up and decides to wing it and maybe the tester might, l- no. might let it through, you're saying if the tester refuses, he loses the €85? Euro. Oh, he will, and the tester will refuse now because obviously they've just brought that back in. So he Okay, will be- all right, so don't do that. So don't do that because that's going to get you nowhere. So either rebook the test, you can go online and rebook it, and uh, they've a new sister now with the Road Safety Authority for the last number of months. When you rebook your test, it gives you days and times with different options and different days. So you can pick a date or time that suits yourself before. They would give you an exact date and exact time, and that's the time you had to turn up for your test. But that's all changed now. So you have options to pick a date that suits yourself. What are the waiting times like? The waiting times vary from test centre to test centre. Um, they have gone up a bit in the last few months, but they're beginning to come down again. Uh, for instance, in Mallard, they're testing on Saturdays at the moment for the last month or two again, which they haven't done for the last few years. Um, the other option then is to, if there was another family car in the family and that person doing the test was insured in that car, they could turn up in another car, provided it's uh, roadworthy and 
tax insurance in the NCT and that kind of thing, you know? I don't think there is. I think this is just a one family car. Yeah, or if they have a driving instructor that they're with for the driving lessons, they could contact a driving instructor and ask them would their car be available for the test on the day. Do a lot of people use the driving instructor's car? Um, I would say it's nearly, it's nearly half and half because because uh, insurance has gone up so much in the last few years and people now know that they're not allowed to drive on their own. A lot of people are opting for not getting a car until they actually have the driving test done. So a good mm. number of people are doing the driving test in the driving instructor's car. Yeah, and because the rules have changed around learner drivers, there is this urgency, isn't there, to pass your test as soon as you can? There is. Uh, there is. And another thing that because uh, we've such a, uh, you know, because of the housing situation at the moment, a lot of people are, are finding that they have to travel. So a lot of people are actually trying to do the driving test, get the full license so they can actually get on the road and get a car and travel if they can't get accommodation near mm, where they're, good point. Or they're going to college. Yeah. They're actually getting on the road uh, a lot younger now and uh, getting their full license. And so, a, any way for Margaret, to, I, I'm, okay, today's Wednesday um, and the NCT is out on Friday. So she has two days because his test isn't until next week. And, and I don't know what day next week he's doing the test. She might have a few days into next week. Any way that she might be able to move on that? It's, it's two weeks time. She has the date for the NCT. Yeah, well, the NCT, see, the only other option is, like, I've had to do this myself um, because I need my car NCT for driving test is to try another. Like, I've, I've tried uh, an NCT test centre down in Limerick or up in Bellarney, or I might have to go somewhere else just to get that NCT done. So whether that's an option for them, if they could maybe try other parts of the county, see, could they get a, a cancellation? Um, maybe talk to a mechanic who might have a bit of, know somebody in an NCT centre might have to squeeze them in for a a quick NCT test. Yeah, I know I had to get an NCT done last year and I ended up getting COVID and I couldn't go on the day of the the test date. And then obviously my NCT was going to be out by a number of months uh, because I was trying to get a new date online. So I waited up and at midnight I went on and lo and behold, suddenly dates appeared. Is that still happening? She was talking to someone earlier this morning on the driving lesson. They were telling me that seemingly after 11 o'clock at night, if you go online, that they can put up cancellations. For yeah, the yeah it's, that's definitely worth doing. Yeah, I don't know that's true. So the other option then is to, is, as I say, is to try and uh, move the test date. If it's harder to get the NCT, well, then it's now time to move the test date before that time runs out because you've only got 10 days before the test day to do that and that takes the pressure off as well you know yeah I don't know how if, if we have the if he has the 10 days or not but okay there's good words of advice uh, there did you have anybody for for test today I didn't have any for test today I'm actually just locally in travel today but what I would say to people there is if you are going for test it's not just the NCT it has to be the tax disc the tax disc it has to be insurance disc if you forget your license if you have an engine management light up on your dashboard or if your tyres are not properly um, you know, tire pressure and in trade depth, all these are reasons why you wouldn't be able to do your driving test. So it's good to. And you lose the money, which I, I didn't realise. I thought when there was something wrong, you just reschedule and that you hung on to the money. Somebody is saying that their niece uh, went, went to do their driving test and the tester refused because one of the L plates was badly faded from the sun. Yeah, Patricia, look, there's a, there's a lot of stories. I could write a book at the stage of, of little situations of that. So, yes, because 
it has to be a display properly uh, L plate. Some people cut down the L plate to a smaller size. Yeah. The leader. It has to be displayed. It's got a white background for reasons, so so you can see the L plate on the back of the car on the front of the car. And uh, the other one, the green strip on the side of the insurance disc. Somebody yeah. somebody cut it off, and they that made the the disc invalid, and they wouldn't allow them to do the test. Well, I remember about ten years ago, I was trying to get my insurance disc into the holder in the car, and I folded back the green strip. Yeah. But look enough, I didn't cut it off, and when some when the tester came out. He was wondering where was that green strip, but lucky enough, I was able to show him that I just pulled it back. So, <laughs> What's that? What is that all about? Well, because I have a duplicate copy in CT certificate. So you could, it could be, it could be a just of a copy. And oh, like, oh, okay, <laughs> all right, okay, that's no, the reason for it. Okay, it can't be copied. All right, okay, no. that's fair enough. All right, listen, you're a mine of information as always. We'll let you get back to the uh, to the great work that you're doing, teaching the young drivers how to drive. Thanks, Martin, and stay safe. Thanks for joining us. Bye-bye. That is Martin Hennessy of You Drive in Charleville. Still getting calls in about Margaret and her son and the driving test and the NCT out on the uh, car. Somebody is making the point that this NCT rule about having to have an updated NCT, a valid NCT on your car, has been there for quite some time. Texter says, I did my driving test two years ago, which was during COVID times. And the first question that the driving tester asked me was, do you have a valid NCT certificate on your car? On NCTs, says this texter, I think it's all a scam. It's money, money, money. It, uh, I waited five months to get my NCT uh, and then they had the cheek to backdate me. I think it's a money scam. Uh, the law says you need to get an NCT test done every year. I think that's when your car is over a certain age, isn't it? It's every two years up to 10 years. And then after 10 years, it's every year. It doesn't say that you need to do your NCT twice a year. But the fact that they don't backdate it to the date of when your NCT was or the fact that they do backdate it to when your NCT was out. A lot of people have a huge, huge uh, issue with that. John says, Patricia, I'm hearing about that woman and her son who can't do his driving test because the car doesn't have a valid NCT why don't they simply borrow a car or hire a car from a driving instructor for the test everybody knows that come on it's common sense the problem would simply be solved and actually a huge amount of people are saying the same thing to go to a driving instructor and I don't know if he was using a driving instructor when he last used a driving instructor the only thing I will say about he's obviously very used to driving the family car and we all know that every one of us who were did a driving test will know how nervous you are and you like to feel comfortable in the car that you're driving and a car you know well. So that's one of the reasons why I don't know about saying, oh, go and get a driving instructor's hire a car from a driving uh, instructor. But lots of people are giving that as a suggestion, particularly if her son really needs to get the driving test and really wants to do the test next week. If if the mother can't, if Margaret can't get her test on the the NCT done on her test before his driving test is uh, due. Somebody else says, I'm wondering, could that lady rent a car from a local garage or would a family member be able to loan one? I don't know about a family member, but it's the insurance issue, but could you hire one from a local garage? Somebody said that that's what they did. They didn't have a car at the time and they actually hired a car out for the day. But again, it's I'm just worried about the nervousness for Margaret's son. I don't know how good a driver he is, but I just know that 
when you're driving you want to be as comfortable as uh, possible. Anyway, thank you. There's lots of people just trying to bring in suggestions to try to help out Margaret and to help out her son. On other issues coming into us, the Dáil, we know there's a no confidence motion going on as we speak in uh, Dáil Éireann that is still underway. There's a debate under underway in advance of the motion of no confidence. I was asking John Paul to, to, could he let us know when that actual motion of no confidence, do we know when it's actually going to take place even though um, reading all of the papers today, it looks like the government will. They won't. The, the government won't fall on this no confidence motion. They, it'll be it'll be passed in their uh, favour. But uh, not everyone happy with the government at the moment, including Shay, who says, "Patricia, I tr- truly hope that the government are brought down today and voted out of existence. They've completely failed the people of this country." And then Shay lists. Uh, some areas that he feels that the government has failed the people on roads, on hospitals, on housing, on the fire department, on the Gardaí, the education system, our schools, on water services, even those that they promised a better life to that had to flee their homelands because of war and persecution and arrive here. They are being brought here with an empty promise because those people who are here, be they Ukrainian refugees or asylum seekers, are also struggling. The only thing, according to Shea, that he feels the government have succeeded in is upping their own pay. There are so many other issues I could name here. So Shea, very disillusioned with uh, politics at the moment. A West Cork listener says, Patricia, in politics, we don't need slippery, cunning, short-sightedness decisions. What we need is a little bit of common sense. We need fair play and we need... Above anything else, we need compassionate decisions, which could be easily costed financially. Basically, we need common sense decisions in Irish politics. Dream on, I suppose, says a West Cork uh, lister. 0818103103 on people arriving into this country without documentation. And then the guy who managed to get on a plane without a boarding pass and a passport. I'm still scratching my head and I would love to find out uh, how that one gets explained away. And obviously there's going to be an investigation going on, but I really can't wait to find out how he managed to get through security and then to the boarding gate and then to get onto the plane without showing a passport. He had no passport and no boarding pass. Somebody said, I'm just wondering if people can arrive here with no documentation. Why are the airlines not being fined? And also when they arrive at an airport, you have to get on board with a boarding pass. Therefore, why again can the airlines not give the details that are contained on your boarding pass? Why can't they give it to the Irish authorities to identify exactly who the people are? Yeah, there's some common sense solutions for sure. And then Anne listening to the man who managed to board a plane without a boarding pass and get through security or a passport says I'm listening about that man getting on the plane to Birmingham. Any time I have gone through Dublin airport um, I've almost had to strip strip. The last time I passed through I was called aside to be checked once again. I was rushing for a flight. I was so annoyed. I said to them the next time I arrive in Dublin airport I'm going to run through security naked. Dublin airport is a nightmare says Anne. I know and that's why we're so lucky to have Cork airport but the problem with Cork airport they don't always have the flights and the destinations that you want to go to and then we're forced to go to uh, Dublin airport and I'm, I'm travelling next month and again I'd love my dearest wish would be to flying out of Cork airport but the destination we've chosen I can't I have to go out to Dublin airport and I'm already kind of feeling the anxiety about it and the dread about it because last year when I flew out of Dublin airport I was there the day before that it really got bad in Dublin airport when people started missing their flights and there was people queuing outside. And I remember 
we flew out on the Saturday and it was the Sunday that they had the, the really big problems. They didn't have enough security people. Um, but I remember when we were there on the Saturday, you could see that they were under pressure. And, and I remember thinking this is, and I, we were just very lucky. We were travelling with Marsha and I'd wheelchair assist booked and the people at Dublin Airport, I have to say, and Cork Airport are extremely kind to people that need extra help at the airport. And uh, Marsha gets treated with nothing but utter kindness. And as soon as we were spotted, we were you know, almost fast tracked through with her which is it's just terrific they they really are great but you could see the crowds were starting to build up and the queues were starting to build up outside so I wasn't surprised the day after when so many people missed uh, their flights uh, but and they, they did then get the extra security staff in but to hear this whistleblower saying that they're not trained properly that in itself uh, is a worry so yes Anne I agree with you it's a lovely airport the physical building is lovely but it's just at times it can be a very stressful place to go through 081 1-8-103-103. And can I go back to yesterday's uh, programme and an item that kicked off by a letter, a handwritten letter that I received to the programme that wasn't signed and there's no address. I don't know where this uh, lady is coming from, but one of our listeners wrote to us. She's a widow and she just wrote to outline how she's struggling at the moment and hoping she'd hoped that by me reading out her letter that it might be a wake up call to people who complain about things and they don't really need to be complaining about anything when you look at what she's going through at the moment. And, you know, she listed out in her letter how, you know, she's no coal and no blocks, how she's an empty fridge. She's paying off a loan at the credit union for the car that she has to have because she lives in a rural area. She's also still paying off for the funeral expenses of her husband. She had to pay her car tax, her insurance and her car is up next. She also needs to get new tyres. So she's trying to put money away from that. And she said, when all of the bills are paid, very little left for um, food. And she said there's times where she cries herself to sleep with the stress of it all. And she said she gets frustrated then when she hears people moaning about stupid things and um, when this is the reality for her. That then led to John in Cove towards the end of the programme messaging in to say to kind of had a go at this lady and say look if she's a widow living on her own and she did say at the start of her letter that a, ha- a nice house isn't everything making the point that people on the outside it looks like this woman is fine she's got her nice house she's got her car outside but people don't realise just how difficult it is for her so John and Covid worked out that she's possibly on 264 euro uh, a week because she'd have living alone allowance and he's also questioning does she have fuel allowance uh, for example and she said if if it is her own home and we're assuming from the letter it is her own, own home he said look there are people worse off than she is because there are people in the same position who have to pay rent out of their 264 euro uh, a, a week so he's questioning why she is struggling if she's getting all the benefits she's entitled to is she really not just not not balancing her bu- her budget, doing her budget correctly, and he was critical that she shouldn't be struggling on two hundred and sixty four. I thought was a, I have to say, John, a really really unkind, because this woman obviously is struggling. She wouldn't have written to the program uh, otherwise, and that then led Jim to say, I don't know what this John from Cove has against pensioners, but any time Patricia on your program you mentioned the word pensioners, he's in like a flash with a text or a phone call saying why. Are are they struggling? He always seems to think that all pensioners are loaded. He really must have no heart and does not take into account 
the cost of everything now. Things from home heating products. And this poor woman was saying she's paying off the loan of her car, the fuel that she puts into her car, that's not coming cheap. She has to keep the car on the road. She has to pay the tax and insurance. And then all the other bills just trying to maintain her car. And to hear her say in her letter, she's paying off her late husband's funeral costs. And we all know that funerals cost a lot. If John is that loaded, maybe he could offer that woman some help instead of criticising her, said uh, Jim, who was jolly annoyed at uh, John John in Cove's comments uh, yesterday. And then somebody else jumped in straight away and said that... that they, she, who said, I can well understand how that woman is struggling with her bills. There just simply isn't enough coming in on a fixed income. She's living just on a state pension to cover all of the expenses. I just wonder if she does own her own house, could she not secure maybe a small loan against the house and just have one repayment? Is that an option? And actually a couple of people yesterday were saying, would she consider renting out a room? Now I know she's in a rural area so I don't know if many people want to live in a very rural area on the rent a room uh, scheme because obviously they need to have transport as well if t- to go to and from work but it absolutely is a suggestion and then someone else kind of as a word of advice to that uh, lady to that widow who wrote to us uh, said Patricia on your programme was it yesterday we did this or was it um the day before we did it, I think it was oh it was on Monday, somebody is pointing out that you had a lady on the uh, programme it was um, Jackie Fitzgibbon, uh, who was from the friendly call Cork. Uh, she spoke to you on a Monday about keeping in touch with elderly people and building up telephone friendships with people. Maybe the lady who wrote to you, maybe she could ring somebody like that. Maybe she could get, get on to friendly call Cork and just have somebody to talk to. She sounds like she's very lonely. I would suggest she needs to talk to maybe. I don't know if she has family that she can talk to or confide in, but she needs to bounce ideas off other people for advice. She She needs a reliable companion to help her more than anything. And that was the point I made when I did read out the letter. She just says she's a widow. She doesn't say if she has any family. And I I don't know if she has family. And if she does have family, I don't know if her family realise just how much she is struggling because a number of older people will keep that from their children. They won't let their family know that they really are struggling at the moment. But I mean, it's heartbreaking for any 73 year old woman to have to write to her local radio station to say she's no coal, no blocks and a very empty fridge. I mean, to me, that is it's help uh, she needs, certainly not criticism on how she's actually budgeting from week to week. 0818103103. John Paul's taking your calls. You can text, you can WhatsApp to 0862. 103 103. The C103 Cork Diary. With Cork County Council delivering roads and housing, community and business supports all across the county. See corkcoco.ie. We wish the best of luck to everybody at Boherbury Comprehensive School. They're presenting Annie, the TY show in Whelan Community Hall. It's on tonight and tomorrow night. Doors will open at half seven and the show will start at eight. Now, tickets are 10 euro eight each and they're available from 029. 76032. Ballyhay Farm Fest is taking place on Sunday the 9th of July in Charleville Showgrounds. Now they're looking for contestants to take part in their Cork's Fittest Farmer Challenge. You need to be a team of five and they will limit it to 10 teams with a prize of up to €500 Euro in fuel vouchers for team members. You can register now by emailing ballyhayfarmfest at gmail.com. 
The March public talk by Duca's Clonakilty Heritage will take place tomorrow night, half past eight, in Clonakilty GAA Pavilion. A lecture will be delivered by Faulkner McCarthy and a five euro cash charge will apply at the door. People should note it starts at half past eight. And fundraising big bingo for Clodove National School will be held on Friday in Cookstown Community Hall. Commences at half past seven. Books available at the door. There's also a raffle on the night. Proceeds from the night are going towards the funding for interactive smart boards for the classrooms. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Want great advice? You know who to talk to. CMIG.ie. And by the way, the RSA has, the Road Safety Authority has come back to us because we put a, a request into them for information for Margaret and her son with the driving test and the invalid NCT cert that will be on the windscreen of the car uh, next week. And they've come back with pretty much similar to the advice that Martin, our driving instructor from Charleville, uh, gave. And the RSA say that if the person realises immediately before the test that they do not have a valid NCT, then they should cancel using the RSA's My Road Safety online portal. If they use the cancellation reason, no availability, they won't lose their fee and they'll be sent an invitation to book a new test date as soon as possible and I think really that's what Margaret's son uh, is going to have to do if they, if, he, if he well he can still go and try and borrow a car or get a driving test driving instructor to give him uh, hire a driving instructor's car for the day but failing that I think he needs to cancel the test now the RSA don't say the 10 day rule Martin was saying there's a 10 day rule and I don't know what day next week this young lad is doing the test so he may need to get working on that if he needs to cancel uh, the test but I just don't know if he needs to get his insurance uh, as as quick as he can or not I'm not sure but anyway thank you to everybody people have um, lots of people have come in with similar advice for Margaret and for her son let me go to the phone lines where Mary joins me good afternoon Mary Hello, um, you're, Patricia. You're, you're welcome. You're reacting to the letter I had in from the widow uh, yesterday saying how much she's I struggling. Am. And then John yeah. and Cove saying, how could she be struggling when she's on 264 a week? It, is, it was an awful remark, to be quite honest, because I am similar age to that lady. I'm a widow with 24 years and I know her position too well. Because, like, if you are living in the country, you need a care. And when you have all your bills paid, it is very, very hard. Yeah, and that's, she has to keep the car on the road because... She, she, she does. Yeah. And I can see where that lady is coming from. And I think it was an awful remark to pass yeah, on her letter, to be quite honest. Yeah, I was not impressed with it at all. To hear her say no coal, no blocks and an empty fridge. It, it's terrible. Terrible. And I can understand where she is. And, like, I don't know whether she has family or not, but, like, you're not, your family are struggling maybe too if she has even a family. You know what I mean? Yeah, you see, that and is, that is the problem. Everyone is... There was, there was a time where family would always be able to help people out, but maybe you're right. If she does have family, maybe they're equally struggling. Well, I have a family. I have two in family, and they are struggling now trying to get a house there in rented accommodation and it's not, you know what I mean, they are under pressure themselves. So I don't know about the lady, like, but I know in my heart and soul where that lady is coming from. 
And my heart goes out to her. So and, will it. and do you have to work out, Mary, every week where all the money is going to go and what you're going to spend it on and what you're not going to exactly. spend? Exactly. Yeah. Do you know? There's no wasting money, like. No. And you have to, you know what I mean? You have to balance your budget. You know what I mean? And she has a lot going on, like if she only lost her husband recently. She's paying for know? the funeral, God help her. And like, see, I wonder if she I, if she went into back into the credit union and explained to them that they might be able to reduce the payments for her. You know, I, I, I yeah, I I think she needs to reach out and 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 get help. Well, I think so. To be quite honest, but I mean, it's awful when somebody contacts you and passes a remark. I was not impressed with that. Like, walk a mile you in know. my shoes, says Mary. Before you criticise anyone. Yeah. yeah, you need to think like, you know what I mean? Yeah. Everyone is not in a, a high position like, you know what I mean? And I know the lady needs her care. She's yeah. out the country. That's her only outlet. Well, her car. She'll be totally isolated if she gives up the car. She'll be... She'll exactly. Be, yeah, yeah, and then she what can she do? Yeah, yeah. And while you're yeah. able to drive, like, you do need a car. You know what I mean? Yeah, and she's all the other bills. Like, she's got the electricity bill coming in. You've, you've all the other bills, you know, that have to it, be paid. No, you said it. And uh, there's no one going to pay them for, for our life. Okay. You know. All right, Mary, listen, thank you for that. And, Trisha, and well, thank you great very support much. And great to support that lady. Thanks a million. Uh, and I really hope that that lady is listening and, and knowing that there is a lot of uh, support out there for her. And only yesterday when I read out the initial letter, um, I, you know, we had people, we had somebody from East Cork and somebody from North Cork who were offering to give her coal or blocks. But as I say, I, I don't know where this lady is in the county. I don't know where she's living because there was no indication in the letter. She hasn't contacted us. We were appealing to her yesterday to give us a call to see if we could help her out in any way or even just point her in the direction of where she can go to try and get some help. Because as I said yesterday, she definitely is a candidate for the community welfare officer who definitely would be able to give her an exceptional needs payment. And so many people yesterday was saying the local Vincent de Paul in a heartbeat would help out uh, somebody like this and and I know some people find it difficult to go to St Vincent de Paul but as I always say to people you go to St Vincent de Paul when you need their help and then the day will come when you won't need their help and then you will be able to contribute to the Society of St Vincent de Paul who then will be able to go on and help the people that need it at that time. That's how the wonderful Society of St Vincent de Paul uh, works. But as I say there was a, there's a lot of outpouring of love for her. It was just John's comment has uh, infuriated uh, some people. And somebody else said is that the same John from Cove who commented on pensioners getting their hair done every Friday last year. Uh, yeah, I checked that with John Paul and yes, uh, it is the same man as, as one of our listeners said he just seems to have a thing about pensioners and he seems to be of the view that pensioners have it very, very easy. Now, there are some pensioners who may have a, who may have a really decent private pension and absolutely are doing well. But the pensioners that we keep talking about and trying to fight for are the pensioners who are just living on a state pension and they have no other income and no other means of you know earning anything because of their age and they may not have families who are able to help them out and many of them really, really are uh, struggling. Somebody says, Patricia, tell that lady to go to MABS. Yeah, I think she needs to perhaps restructure the credit union loan a little bit. That seems to be really eating into however much she's 
he's getting uh, every uh, every week. And that Cove fella must be nothing short of stupid. Somebody else has accused um, John uh, in Cove of being ignorant for coming out of those comments uh, about older people. 0818103103. And by the way, just on breaking news, uh, the government has survived the confidence motion in the Dáil, which we had predicted earlier on. Uh, Mick said, who in their right mind would want an election now? Now, it was the Labour Party put forward the no confidence uh, motion. Sinn Féin, Social Democrats all seem to want an election. Uh, But looking at the way the Labour Party are doing in the polls, how stupid a decision would it be for Labour to go to the polls at the moment? And I read one of the political commentators yesterday uh, saying about some of the independents who were voting and with the government that that would be like them voting for Christmas because a number of the independents last time round would have got in because Sinn Féin only ran one candidate in certain areas and their transfer vote got in some of the independent candidates. And of course, we know that Sinn Féin are doing extremely well in in the opinion polls. Certainly Sinn Féin would want to go out to the people at the moment. If you just look at the opinion polls and Sinn Féin are going to be a very different party going to the electorate this time in that they are going to be running more than one candidate. I don't know if they're going to run two candidates in every constituency, but certainly they'll look back on the last election and the constituency where they were very close. They would have got in a second candidate if they'd had a second candidate at running, they certainly will, will be running more candidates next time round. And it's, it will affect government part, the current government party that's in the coalition, but it will also uh, affect the independents. So, yes, there's certainly a view of why would some people want an election? And Mick, you certainly are right. Hi, Patricia, you mentioned NCTs. My car is out uh, for NCT since last December. I applied online and I'm after getting a test date for next October in Jardaville. Uh, well, if you go online, particularly after, Martin was saying after 11 o'clock, I did it close to midnight, but maybe they've they've brought the time back a little bit. If you go after 11 o'clock, you will see other test times coming up if you want to get your NCT. Because your problem is, if your NCT is up in December, and I don't know how old your car is, but say it's a a 10-year-old car, when you go to do your test in October, your next NCT will be due in December, they'll backdate it to last December. Now, if it's a two year, if it's under 10 years and it's a two year NCT search you're getting, you'll you'll still have an NCT for the following December, 12 months. So by getting it in October, you will be due another one. If it's a, a, 10, year, a 10 year or older car, you'll be due another one the following uh, December. Hi, Patricia. I wonder, could you put a shout out to your listeners, please? Would anybody know the best place to go for hearing aids? For somebody who is very hard of hearing. Now, the person in question does have hearing aids, but they don't seem to be working as good anymore. And I don't know how old those hearing aids are because hearing aids have certainly come on. They've, they've, they're digital, they're fantastic digital hearing aids. I don't know if they're still as expensive as they used to be, but certainly digital hearing aids, huge advancement in hearing aids. So if they were the old analogue ones, there's certainly better ones on the market. There's a lot of private companies out there offering hearing aids, which the best and which are not. I don't don't really know. Uh, And I know what you're saying. You're looking for kind of word of mouth who went somewhere and got hearing aids and did really well with the hearing aids and found that the service that they got was really well. So if somebody wants to give on suggestions to this listener for somebody who has hearing aids, but just they're just not working as good anymore, 
very hard of hearing so they need really good hearing aids if anyone has suggestions for that listener love to pass on any recommendations you might have 0818 103 103 and hi Patricia would you please announce that the Rambling House in Theo Park Laba Malaga is on tonight it starts at half past eight if anybody wants to go sorry it doesn't start at half past eight it starts at half past seven read what's in front of you Patricia Rambling House Theo Park tonight at half past seven all are welcome You're listening to C103's Cork Today podcast. Phone and text lines are currently closed. Peter Dowd of theirishgardener.com joining me uh, this afternoon. Good afternoon to you, Peter. Good afternoon, Patricia. How are you? I'm I'm very well. And as you speak, the sun has started to shine because it has been raining, raining here all morning. I think it's been raining here for the last six months non-stop. <laughs> I, I, I don't know if the statistics bear me out, but I think we've had such an incredibly wet six months ever since last October. We've just had rain, rain, rain. OK, listen, uh, we'll get into questions. But before we do, for fear I'll run out at the end, uh, you want to mention a couple of things. Lifelong learning piece in, in uh, Elizabeth, Elizabeth Fort. What's this? Yeah, Elizabeth Fort, which is a, a long, a long, long history in Cork City there at the bottom of Barrack Street. I'll be there this Saturday, the 1st of April, as part of the Lifelong Learning Festival. Uh, and I'll, I'll be talking about, I suppose, what's, what's my passion or my hobby horse, if you like, and that is the importance of urban landscaping, the importance of, of the green environment and green initiatives, green infrastructural elements, Trish, in our city centres and towns. Like, it's proved you know, beyond any doubt that, that urban greening, what I mean by urban greening is just basically it's a fancy word for landscaping, like green walls, roof gardens, gardens in the city. They have a huge role to play in so many of the challenges facing us at the moment, not, not, not least of all mental health and just being close to green spaces helps all of our mental health. And of course, we're, where do our, the bulk of our populations live, but in towns and cities. So that's a huge benefit, but also obviously they clean the air, they have an effect on the urban climate. But what's particularly, particularly relevant for Cork City is that green walls and roof gardens are proven to slow the volume of water and the rate of water entering our drainage system. So it it approved in cities like Berlin and London, which are the the kind of flag bearers, if you like, in Europe of of green infrastructural elements. They're proven to reduce the volume of water entering the drainage system by up to 80%. Now, if if you look at our flooding problem in Cork City, right, I mean, and it's not even being looked at not even on the agenda that we would talk about this in terms of a flood defence. It seems that, you know, more concrete, more steel, more tarmac is, is, is the constant answer is coming. We need to stop looking at, at the natural solutions as, you know, just hippies like myself talking about it or as a gentle past, genteel pastime for, for older people. Like the gardens, the natural environment has a critical role to play in this. The answers are all around us if we just look. So, that's what I'll be talking about on Saturday. I'll be talking about how not, not only do they make our gardens that much more pretty and gorgeous, but they, they have a, a huge role to play in, in, in modern day urban problems. So so join me, anyone who wants. I'll, I'll also take, obviously, I'll be dealing questions. with other questions. And, answers and is that, op- is that open well. to everyone? Open to everyone. I think it kicks off at, at about uh, nine or ten o'clock in the morning. Lifelong Learning will, will tell you more their website. And I think I'm speaking from one o'clock for about an hour. But I'll be there doing questions and answers as well for, for before and after. Okay, so good look luck. forward to yeah. seeing anybody and everybody. OK, well done. Well done. OK, let's get into some questions. Is it OK to plant dahlia bulbs now, says a listener? 
absolutely now is the time end of march into april is the time to start planting them um so yeah you can either start them off in pots or you can start them off straight into the open ground do give them a, a pretty well-drained soil uh, but now is the time yeah uh, this is from Michael in Bantry. Michael says, hi, uh, Peter. I saw in a local shop this morning, lupin crowns are in uh, a bag of them. Are they a good way to buy lupins? Well, they, yes, I would say yes. Provided you're getting, I hate seeing the, these perennial roots and things in plastic bags, if they're in plastic bags, because it's not a good way to store them because the condensation builds up so the reason I say that is just be careful what you're buying. Kind of give them a good a bit of a squash first. The shopkeeper won't thank you, but just have a look at them. If they look, they should be shooting by now, like the dahlias and lupins. You should begin to see a few leaf buds coming into growth. So if you do see that, then yes, they're good, a good way to buy them. If you don't, or if they feel any way soft, or if they look like there's a lot of condensation in the bag, I'd leave well alone. But um, but if, if they look good, yeah, to find planting bare root perennials at this time of the year, the likes of your dahlias, lupins, salvias, all these kind of things, to find an inexpensive way to, to do it. But just it's the plastic bags that I'd have a bit of a worry about. OK, Teresa says, hi, Peter, can you still still cut back roses or is she too late? Can you still separate plants like lilies uh, and things like that? Roses, can you cut them back? Absolutely, yes, absolutely. And speaking to to uh, anybody who follows me on Facebook might be familiar with Frank Hughes down in Listowel and Kerry. He sends me pictures of his roses every year, and <laughs> I put them up, and they are just magnificent. And he's growing roses that his uh, his grandfather and his father grew before him, and they are just magnificent. I was only talking to him yesterday, and he hasn't pruned his yet. So if he hasn't done his yet, I, I you plenty of time. But no, I mean you do want to do it sooner rather than later. I like to have mine done by the end of February, early March. Um, but if you haven't on them better to do them a bit late than not at all definitely uh, dividing things like lilies it is we are getting a bit late for that because growth has started so if your lilies are shooting so if, they, if you see any green or any buds coming to growth in them don't touch them if they're if they're still dormant if there's no growth yet you might just get away with it but um we are getting a bit late margaret is in douglas when is the best time to move a camellia Camellias, uh, like like a lot of evergreens, are difficult to move if they're very established. So the more established they are, if you like, the bigger the risk. So if they're less than five years old, they probably move easily enough, provided you get a big enough root ball. But five years and over, uh, I mean, it's not cut and dry, obviously, but the, the, the older they are, the more risk there is in moving them. But the best time to do it is January, the month of January, the coldest time of the year is when you want to do it. But get as big a root ball as possible and hope for the best. Jerry's in Glamour and is wondering, is liquid seaweed a good source of feed to put around the base of young tomato plants? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Just make sure you're not overfeeding them, particularly as they're very young. You don't want to overfeed them uh, and make sure it's an organic liquid seaweed and that there isn't any chemicals in it because, again, you're going to be eating it, obviously, eating the tomatoes. Uh, but, yeah, it's, it's a, like, a good liquid seaweed feed is about the best you can get. OK, Lucy is looking for advice on the first grass cut of the season. She said the grass in the garden has gone very high. Uh, she was trying to do it last weekend, but the grass is still very wet. Do you need the grass to be fully dry before you go out and give the first cut of the season? The thing is, I think if we're going to wait for it to be fully dry, we'd be waiting till June or July, I'd say, Trish, at this stage. So I gave mine my first cut probably about three or four weeks ago at this stage, but I haven't managed to give it a second cut yet because it's just, I agree, it's just been so wet. Um, the the you, you don't need it to be fully, ideally, yes, it would be fully dry, but if provided it's dry enough that it's not going to clog the lawnmower, then I would get out and do it as soon as possible because as, as she knows from the call, it's going to get to a point where it's, it's going to be too high to, to cut it because it's quite mild now as well. 
So, yeah, it, it, it's just a balancing act right now. Get out as soon as you can. As soon as it looks dry enough, uh, get out into it. Because this is grass growing weather, isn't it? It's perfect. It really is. I mean, it's 10, 12 degrees at the moment and damp, so the grass is loving it. All right, somebody else has a patch in the middle of the lawn that always gets waterlogged. It's almost like there's a dip in it. What would Peter suggest? I don't know if, I don't know if I'd suggest anything really in terms of trying to fix it because you probably won't. Uh, I don't mean to sound negative by saying that, but it, it's, it, it's 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 very I don't sorry what I suppose what I need to ask is it depends on what's causing it so in other words if there was if there is a reason that the soil in that area is very compacted uh, well then that is fixable you could improve the the soil texture and try and improve the drainage there and relieve the compaction of the soil however if it's caused and I can't imagine why one patch would be compacted if the whole lawn isn't do you know what I mean like compacted mm. soil is, is is very common if there was machines like house building machines or anything going on but that would tend to be over the whole area if it's just one patch it's more likely to be t- to do with the water table so if it is the water table and it's just that it's waterlogging there you won't beat nature on that one so what you could do is maybe, oh, I don't know the garden, obviously, but maybe look at removing lawn from, from that patch. This may not work at all now, as I say, I don't know the garden, but it may work if you remove the lawn in that area uh, and put in a, a bed with plants that are suited to that growing in those conditions, to something like a rain garden, which will, will um, you, you'll put in plants that will, will thrive in those conditions. So that might be something worth doing. It, but if it's caused by the water table and not compaction, there's very little you can do really in terms of, of alleviating it, I'm afraid. Just live with it in the wet weather. OK, Dan in Rathmore says, very interested to hear Peter speak about urban uh, greening and plants and gardens helping to reduce uh, flooding. By coincidence, TG Cahar had a very interesting uh, programme last night about sea level rise and flood defences. Uh, it's worth watching. I don't know if you've spotted that. Well, I didn't spot it, unfortunately, but I do remember talking to, to Duncan Stewart several yeah. years ago and I was working with him on one of his equi programmes and he was saying for, for Cork that um, I'm, I'm, I'm not getting involved in the, the argument about the walls and the title, but he was he knows substantially more than I do uh, and he was saying that the, the flood defence, the tidal barrier is the way forward for Cork. It's certainly not raising the walls. Um, so I haven't seen it. And of course, what I'm talking about in terms of urban greening won't have any won't have any impact on tidal flooding, unfortunately, but mm. it will with excessive rainfall flooding, certainly. OK. All right, listen, we leave it there. Have a great week and enjoy that event in the Elizabeth Fort on Barrack Street on Saturday. Thanks, Trish. Talk Thanks a million. Week. Bye-bye. That is uh, Peter Dowdle, theirishgardener.com. And that's where I stopped talking for today. My thanks to John Paul McNamara for producing. Nick Richards is with you for the afternoon and we're back with you tomorrow morning at 10. Until then, I'm Patricia Messenger. Very good Court afternoon. Today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie.